This time on Geezers of the Game, we talk states. <laughs> Hey, it's me, Michael Bean, and you're on with Geezers of the Game. Stay frosty. Well, welcome back to Geezers of the Game. just want to take one moment to recognize all those who are tuning in new. Thank you for joining in. Um, we're excited to have you here and hope that we can hear from you and your ideas. We already heard a few ideas, and they're wonderful, and uh, we're moving forward with them. Okay, so, got a couple things going today. We got... Uh, <laughs> Got a quick tip from Alex uh, about running dungeons. And then uh, first up, though, I'm going to talk about states. All right, so you're probably thinking, you know, like uh, combat states or something like that, right? Well, no. <laughs> so um, Zippa, or Zipia, I'm not sure. Anyways, put out a very interesting um, article a little bit of research they did um, on where they were able to find, or excuse me, what they were able to find about Dungeons and Dragons players. Um, and it was unclear if this is just D&D or if this is all uh, role-playing games, you know, tabletop. Um, but uh, they used analysis of Google Trends or Google Search Trends to kind of get an idea. And uh, it's very interesting. So... Who, who plays the most D&D in the nation? Well, uh, kind of shocking to me, but not really. Utah. Um, the state uh, of Utah has the most D&D players. Um, it doesn't say how many D&D players they have in the state, but um, there's an estimated 13.7 million of us out there. That's million with an M, not billion, but we're getting there. Although there's not 13.7 billion people on the planet, but maybe there will be. <laughs> All right. And this is just in the United States. Uh, I think I saw once that there's like 30 million uh, worldwide. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, if somebody knows that, go ahead and chime in and let me know. So, some very interesting facts came up. So, um, the top 10 states that play is Utah, Idaho, Oregon, Maine, Vermont, Alaska, Washington, Montana, New Hampshire, and Kansas. So these are the ones that play the most. And I, it doesn't shock me. These are all very outdoorsy states, if you'll notice. Um, <laughs> a lot of outdoor activities in all of these states. Now, what's interesting is the difference between them and the top 10 least played states. Uh, New York and New Jersey. Why is that interesting? Well, they're big cities, right? They don't play as much. It's interesting. There's still players there. I know you're out there. And if you're out there, give us a shout out. Let us know you're still active playing. Um, but there's also some south, southern states, Mississippi, Georgia, um, that, I don't know, that doesn't really mean anything to me. California, Florida, Texas. Um, these are states that are well known for very specific activities. California, you know, you've got your LA, you've got all of that kind of stuff. You got your San Diego, um, your San Francisco areas. Um, I'm sure San Francisco actually has a fair amount 
and I'm sure that most of those cities do, but they are not playing as much. Uh, Florida, just like California, there's so much to do, but Florida also has a larger population of elderly, so I don't know how much percentage. Maybe I should look that up before I open my big gap. <laughs> and Texas, well, I live next door to Texas, and Texas has a lot of activities they do. It doesn't shock me that role-playing is low on their list. Hawaii, why would you role-play? I mean, come on, you're living the dream there. <laughs> no, role-play. Delaware, I have no clue. In South Carolina, I really don't know why. But, so, what does that mean for all of us? Well, what that really comes down to, and what I thought was the most interesting, is the uh, classes that people play. Uh, in Utah, or not, yeah, in Utah, we see that they play a ton of D&D, and mostly they play monks. That's their favorite. That's the most searched for um, class of D&D. Uh, in uh, in my, my state, where I live right now, in New Mexico, I love wizards, so give me a shout out, all you New Mexican wizards. <laughs> And uh, then, of course, you've got states like uh, Oregon. Uh, Oregon is all about the rogue. That does not shock me. Uh, I, I came from the Pacific Northwest. That's where I was raised and grew up most of my life. And that's exactly what that is. You're out there in the forest. Isn't that what rogues are all about? The forest? Nature? Yeah. Go, uh, go green, right? <laughs> Recycling. <laughs> so... What does this say to us? Well, what this really says is we are all into role-playing. Every state. There isn't one state that wasn't into role-playing. <laughs> all states role-play. And with so many of us, we need to come together. There's so much division, um, especially in D&D. &D. Uh, a lot of people uh, have different ideas about how D&D &D should be played. But isn't it that we're all one community? Shouldn't we be looking to put our community together? Uh, you know, uh, what's the uh, famous line? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Well, isn't that true of gaming? Yeah, see, we're in different states. And yeah, sure, there are states that play more than others. But come on, let's play together. Let's, uh, let's connect. Um, uh, that's one of the, the main topics of this podcast is how do we communicate with each other? How do we join together in a common um, community? So we need to join together. So what I, what I propose is I want all of us to go on to social media, Discord, Reddit, uh, your social media accounts, whatever it is, and find somebody from a different state. And I want you to reach out, and I want you to talk about D&D. &D. Talk about whatever game you're playing. Uh, talk about role-playing with them. Connect. If we all connect, then pretty soon, uh, it'll be like six degrees of separation, right? It'll be one degree of separation, because we will all be connected. And then I want you to send us an email at geezersofthegame at gmail.com. Tell us. How it went? Did they tell you to screw off? Did they say, oh, I'm so excited. You play D&D &D, or you play Star Wars, whatever you play. 
Sweet. So do I. This is my favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? Let us know how that goes. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. And uh, I'd like to talk to some of these different ones from the states that don't play very much. So if you live in New York, New Jersey, Georgia, Mississippi, California, Florida, Hawaii, Texas, or South Carolina, email me. Let me know um, if you got some time to talk. I'd like to know why your state doesn't play as much. Maybe you know. Maybe you live next to people that hate role-playing. <laughs> Let me know. I want to know. I, I think we all are curious what makes a state more into role-playing than other states. All right, so that's all I have to say about this wonderful chart that they came up with here on Zipia or Zipia. Um, pretty awesome. They're a career expert site, so this is very interesting. Um, but the, uh, the person that put it together is Kathy Morris. All right, so what are your biggest pet peeves? See, my biggest pet peeves in role-playing is when I don't have fun. <laughs> Who doesn't have fun? I know, if you're going to go play a game and you don't have fun, then why'd you play the game, right? But isn't it true that not every game is fun? Isn't it true that we have some really crappy games at times? Why is that? Well... There's so many reasons. We've touched on some of them, but the most important is to have fun. So uh, I've been watching this YouTuber who is all about outrageous activity. And uh, she points out that we should all try to be outrageous in our life, even if we start out small. So this is what I'm proposing. I'm proposing that we try to do the same thing in role-playing. So here's, here's the thought. Um, whether, and I'm talking more with those who are not um, already fully engaged in the game. There's a lot of people that love role-playing, but more sit on the sidelines unless something comes up that they're interacting with. They're rolling their dice, they're coming up with something to say or do, but they mostly are a side character. And you know who you are. You know how it is. And uh, this is my... This is my double dog dare for you. You ready? Be outrageous. Now that doesn't mean be ridiculous. But go beyond yourself. Get uncomfortable. What does that mean? Try something new. Um, when the big bad villain is there, say, hey, I want to banter with him. To the DM. And then banter with him. Uh, bring out your inner Spidey and banter with him. Or rather than just saying, I'm going to shoot an arrow or I'm going to swing my sword or I'm going to shoot my gun or whatever, come up with a, <laughs> what do they call it in, in movies and plays, I think they call it blocking. Come out with what you're going to do to do it. Make it unique. Yeah, and just say, I'm having fun with this. And your DM, if they understand you're just trying to make the game more enjoyable, and if you're the DM, don't punish them because they're trying to be unique or have fun. 
and they're doing something different, don't say, well, that leaves you wide open. That just shuts it down. Say, okay, cool, go for it. Roll, <laughs> roll down the hill and land on your butt and shoot or fire the arrow or whatever, you know, because the more you talk about what you're doing and or the rather the more you give something fun twist to what you're saying or doing the more engaging the game is the more fun everybody has and uh the last thing this is your triple dog dare incite your group to all do the same thing you will be amazed at how much fun you, everybody will have don't let anybody um, tell you you can't do that. You most certainly can. And if you're in a group that's like, oh, that's stupid, well, then get in a new group. Because they don't want to play that way. And that's fine, they don't have to. But if you want to do that, you're in the wrong group. Come join my group. We love it. Alright. So, are you a dungeon crawl master? Do you love the dungeon crawl? Well, next up, we've got our quick tip with Alex, all about dungeons. Hello, this is Alex with Geezers of the Game. Coming at you with a quick tip talk about the value of dungeons in your role-playing game designs. Now we'll see that the historical idea, the actual real-life dungeons that existed in Europe in the medieval times, are a far cry, a very different thing from dungeons as they exist in uh, as a gaming concept. But let's start there. Let's talk about how actual dungeons really were. Now, what's the origin of the word? My apologies in advance to our French listeners, because I don't speak your language and I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's uh, the donjon is the, the keep, you know, the highest tower in your castle, the most secure location. It's where you're going to keep your prisoners. Now, prisoners in those days is not the same thing as prisoners today. You know, today we have prison sentence as a major punishment for crime, but that really wasn't part of the legal arsenal in, in any part of the medieval era. There were a lot of fines levied and paid. Corporal punishment was a thing. Uh, you could be, for serious crimes, exiled from an area and be treated as an outlaw, which was pretty bad news. First executions were a thing for real serious crimes and state crimes. But prison sentences weren't really on the table. Nobody had thought of that really as a long-term solution. So a dungeon was used more as a, like a jail would be today. It's where you're gonna stash somebody who might be a flight risk, who is uh, awaiting a trial or you know something like that. You're not quite sure yet what to do with them. So you lock them up in the dungeon. Now as Normans invaded England and French became an important part of British life, the word dungeon became more associated in England with its use as a facility to hold a prisoner in, and less so that it had anything to do with being in a tower. And so as castle designs evolved and your prison holding locations moved to gatehouses or curtain walls or, you know, basement rooms, the word went with it. So that's where we get dungeon as a jail cell. As an aside, I understand that in, in French, donjon still refers to the keep the tall tower, and that when they're talking about prison cells elsewhere in the castle, they use the word oubliette, which is a, a cool word. It has something to do with being forgotten. And you don't want to go to the oubliette because they're going to forget you're down there and they're going to quit feeding you and you're going to starve to death and that's no fun. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. 
The point is that the architecture that you're going to see in a dungeon is going to involve just a couple of holding cells, really. And that's mostly it. What might that look like? It might look like uh, it might have barred walls like you would imagine in a modern jail. It might not have that. It might just have chains. It might have manacles on the wall. It might just, it might have none of that. It might just be a room with a door that locks. Or it might be a, a pit in the floor that has a accessible through a, a hatch in the floor above, like a trapdoor kind of thing. And in your earlier medieval periods, you're, you're not going to have as much torture as you might imagine. But in later medieval periods and in the early Renaissance, torture was a big deal. And so you're likely going to have your torture chamber right in that same area too, with all of your, your various tools for hurting people and getting them to confess things that they didn't actually do. But it's not this big sprawling complex that you would see in, in a role-playing game. But let's talk about that then. Let's talk about the role-playing game concept. The broad concept in a role-playing game of what a dungeon is, when we're talking about your dungeon in your game design, your dungeon is going to be any kind of an enclosed setting that contains the obstacles and the objectives for the players. Now, the obstacles might be puzzles, they might be denizens, which they can fight or negotiate with or try to just evade. There might be traps that they're trying to figure out how to not get hurt by. And your objectives can be anything. It can be treasure. It might be trying to rescue somebody. It might be trying to find information. It's whatever kind of adventure hook you can think of to get your players to go explore this place is what your objective is going to be. Now, since dungeons originated in castles, it's easy to imagine a dungeon looking like that, you know, where it's corridors made out of stone blocks and brick and there'd be chains and all the castle accoutrement. But it really doesn't have to be like that at all. A gaming dungeon can have any skin you want to put on it. Uh, it can be a big natural setting like caves, uh, natural tunnels, lava tubes, caverns, that kind of thing. Uh, it can be a tomb uh, complex. It might be catacombs. It might be uh, sewers. That's a common gaming kind of thing. It might be just uh, the rest of the castle, beyond just the, the actual dungeon part of the castle. And it doesn't have to be in a medieval setting, you know, it can be in a modern setting as well. You might have, you know, any kind of a mansion or a, a factory of some sort. I imagine like a steel foundry or a beer bottling plant or something like that, where there's lots of pipes you can duck around. It can be science fiction, you know, it can be a star cruiser or a battle station, something like that. The point is that it's it's not an open area. It's not just a broad open forest. It's not a meadow. It's not the coastline, or you're not in the orbit of a moon. It's an isolated area that only has so many entrances and exits and everything is contained. The real strength of the dungeon is in fact this narrowness of options. And it's a strength on both sides of the GM screen. For the Game Master's side, it's a good model for preparation. Now, it's, this is a departure, I think, from some of the, a lot of the geezers of the game material that we, our other guys have talked about, like the whole five-minute adventure design and things like that. You know, we've been playing role-playing games since, like, the early 90s, so we're all very comfortable with the uh, improvisation aspects of running a game and planning a game. But the advantage of a dungeon is that it, it, it lets you set a lot of things up in advance that the players can't just walk away from. You know, once they're down there, they're kind of committed to this particular volume of a setting. You can plan what's down in there. You can plan kind of where things are and, and what you're going to expect to find. And it's a good tool 
if you're not real comfortable with improvisation or if you're a, a newer game master, you just don't feel like making it all up on the spot. You can make it all up in the comfort of your own graph notebook and uh, really have a good solid skeleton for playing against when you're actually at the game table. And for a players too, it's a valuable structure as well because since they don't have the whole freedom of the entire world to go wander off and meander their way through, uh, it provides a much more focused experience and a much much more objective-based way to approach the game. Now, how you plan your dungeon is going to be dependent upon how you really like to play. Now, if you like to play a lot of theater of the mind type stuff, your dungeon design doesn't have to be even all that elaborate and detailed. A more abstract little drawing uh, in your notebook can be very useful for running a theater of the mind kind of campaign. You can set up something more like a flowchart where you have squares that indicate what is kind of in each room and little lines to show how they connect together and how they can be navigated. And then you can just, through descriptions, convey all this to your players at the table. Alternately, if you're doing something more like the other end of the spectrum would be like the old OSR style of play where you have your dungeon map drawn out in detail on a piece of graph paper. And then you have the, one of the players has his own blank graph paper and he's trying to map out the dungeon as they explore it. That can be very fun, but it's not for everyone. And that would require a much more detailed map than say the flowchart kind of style map would for your more theater of the mind kind of crowd. The other advantage is that if you're like myself, I'm a big miniatures guy. I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a good theater of the mind game, but I, I like playing with my toys too. And if I'm planning to play away from my place and I'm at somebody else's house, I'm going to have to bring a bin of my model terrain with me. And if I've planned a dungeon, you know, I can know exactly which bits to bring and not have to be lost when my players decide to wander off and do something completely unrelated to <laughs> the dungeon I had planned. When you're designing your dungeon, I'm sure there's probably a cool adventure out there that's super fun where you have a very linear dungeon that's just kind of a straight line and you go down it. But that's probably the minority. One of the reasons why our, well, in my opinion, one of the reasons why our, our geezers of the game crew has kind of shied away from the dungeon style of play is because a lot of the earlier modules and stuff that were available from Dungeons and Dragons and, and similar games from the 80s, the 70s and 80s, you know, just before we really started playing, there were some dungeon modules out there that were pretty linear in their structure and just full of weird nonsense that didn't really have anything to do with anything. You know, you'd have, you'd, if you go through these old dungeons and you think, well, wait a minute, why would this monster be hanging out in this room? Like, why would this orc, you know, be hanging out in this room and then this naga in the next room and these skeletons over here? And they, like, don't interact with each other at all. They just sit there and wait for the adventurers to come and fight them. That's dumb. And that is dumb. That's not how you want to plan your, your, your dungeons at all. Your dungeon, and again, by dungeon, it's not just necessarily a tunnel full of monsters. You want your environment to be a dynamic and interesting place where players have to make decisions that, you know, meaningful decisions and can approach it in whatever way they choose to. So in that in that vein, let's talk about dungeon design a little bit. We don't want to have a real linear railroady kind of dungeon. 
When you're planning your dungeon map, you want to make sure, or your flowchart, if that's the way you want to approach it, we want to make sure that there's loops and branches. You know, we want to make sure that there are intersections where the players have to decide to, you know, take the corridor off to the left or open the door to the right. And you don't want it just to be a random choice either, because a random choice is not a meaningful choice. So you want to provide some kind of clue, some kind of indication about what might be down the hallway or what might be behind that door. Because if it's just a random choice, just flip a coin, right? I mean, just draw a linear dungeon because it won't matter. Uh, if you, you have to give some kind of a data to your players that will entice them, well, maybe entice is the wrong word because you don't want to necessarily draw them one way or the other. You don't want to influence their decision. You want to provide them information upon which to base a decision, right? So you want to make sure that there are some kind of clues and information uh, that can give them some foundation upon which to make their judgment calls. Another thing you want to make sure is that it's usually a good idea not to just pile your entire objectives into one space at the end of your dungeon. You might want to make it so things are sprinkled out here and there. Imagine that if you were to have a dungeon which has some kind of really dangerous trap or really awful monster or something in there that you suspect is going to do a lot of damage to your players. You might set it up so that there's some sort of uh, healing potion or medikit or something on, on the other side of that so that they can have a little bit of a reward partway through the dungeon. You might have it so that there's some valuable gear that'll help them later on in the dungeon that they uncover earlier on in the dungeon. But again, you don't want to necessarily set all this up so it has to unfold in a particular way. You just want to plant these seeds in there and see how it grows at the table. So when you're designing your dungeon, a professionally designed, you know, like a published adventure will often have keys. And by by that, I don't mean, you know, to unlock locks, although it can have that too, like a Zelda game. What I'm talking about is like a map key, like where you're going to have numbers on your drawing and then corresponding entries to describe what's in there. And that can be pretty brief. I often don't even like to have a separate list. I usually just draw little callouts right on the map. But you can lay out where everything starts. And I think that's kind of the point I'm trying to make is that you want to lay out where things begin. Your monsters, it shouldn't just be the orcs hang out in this room for the players to show up for them to fight. It should be a dynamic and reactive place. Yet you can set up the starting position of the denizens of your dungeon, but make them reactive. You know, one of the things I like to do if, whenever I'm running a dungeon, I have a little pocket-sized magnetic chest set. And what I'll do is I'll take some thin like printer paper or maybe tracing paper, and I'll draw a little diagram of the dungeon on there. And then I'll use the chessmen to indicate monsters or whatever. I mean, there's, what, seven different chessmen, something like that. And so each one can be identified to a particular kind of monster or guard or the boss or whatever. And you can, behind the game master screen, kind of move things around. Like if, instead of having a wandering monster table, this is how I'll do it. I'll move the enemies around on this little magnetic chessboard. And that's how I do it. That's how I keep things moving. And I track positioning of the enemies. In a much larger dungeon, you might even have different factions that the players can negotiate with or maybe even play off each other. And it becomes a, a much more interesting diplomacy kind of adventure. And it's not necessarily a strictly just kill them all kind of thing. You can play the forces off of each other, the enemy forces off of each other. 
So I guess in conclusion, my point is that not every game has to be a dungeon crawl. I mean, you can have games that are set in forests and meadows and the orbit of the moon, but you can get a lot of different variety of gameplay into a dungeon, and it can be a wonderful planning tool, and it can be a, a very useful environment to have a fun game in for players. And again, it's not what we, the geezers of the game, have done a lot of as a group. I've done more of it with other players who I've met over the years, but it takes a little more planning than the five-minute adventure, usually, although you can improvise a good flowchart dungeon in not too much time. But it's an interesting approach, and I definitely think it's a valuable approach, and I definitely recommend it for any new players out there, who want, or new game masters, I should say, who want to take the time and plan something cool for your players. Anyhow, go out there and roll some dice. I think you're going to have a great time. Take care. This is Alex from Geezers of the Game. Have fun out there. Well, thanks, Alex. I really appreciate you uh, doing all that wonderful research for us um, and letting us know just how valuable dungeons really can be. Um, I know that we haven't done a ton of it as a group, but it can definitely be powerful uh, in a setting to use them. So, I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful episode of uh, Geezers of the Game. I know that we haven't all been together lately, but we will. Trust me. I want to come back together. We've got an interview coming up with a uh, streaming group uh, that plays D&D. Um, very interesting, fun group. So, a uh, bunch of authors. So, until then, I uh, want to tell everybody... Thanks for listening, and uh, don't forget to subscribe. This has been a Geezers of the Game production. If you'd like to support us, please find us on Patreon or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com.